Let's pray before we begin. Father, speak to us. Help us to understand what you have to say. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. My name is Andrew, if you don't know me. And I've been coming to this church, I said to someone this morning, for 35 years, I think. So some of you have been here longer than that, some not quite as long. Now, we're continuing our series on Luke, but first I wanted to start with a story because uh, what we've heard about in the Gospels is very much mirrored by what's going on today. And this is the story, briefly told, of a schoolteacher's marriage. A Christian couple came for marriage counselling. They were having problems, mainly because they felt that they couldn't afford to have children. At that time, the wife was a deputy head and seemed more successful, earning more than her husband. We discussed many issues. There were no deep problems, just a grey lack of enthusiasm for the marriage, overarched by anxieties about careers, children and money. We had many sessions, and I felt that we were making little progress. Almost out of desperation, I asked them if they'd had any psychic or occult or fortune-telling experience. The man replied that years ago he'd been to a fortune-teller. Did anything happen? I asked. I was clutching at straws. Yes, he said. She said I would be married twice. we all drew breath. I wasted no time in breaking the power of this false prediction. And as the author explains elsewhere in the book, that would be done by quite a simple prayer and perhaps some sort of dramatic cut-off gesture like that. Almost immediately, the atmosphere changed and they agreed to start a family. They had, I think, four children. He became a head teacher and then moved on to a good full-time job with a Christian publishing company. The marriage was transformed. It was incredible to me that such a small exposure to a dangerous prediction could have such a potentially devastating effect. In our first reading in John, we heard how the thief comes to steal, to kill and destroy. Who is this thief? It must be Satan who hates the abundant life that Jesus offers us. Jesus offers real life, life in all its fullness, abundant life, and the devil would love to rob us of that. But we're mainly focusing on Luke chapter 11, so let's look at that now. And I think there are eight points that emerge very clearly from this passage about evil spirits and the way Jesus dealt with them. First of all, evil spirits exist. Verse 14, it says, Jesus was driving out a demon that was mute. When the demon left, the man who had been mute spoke, and the crowd was amazed. Jesus is not dealing here with something purely psychological. It's real. It caused that man to be mute. And then when the spirit left him, he could speak. Now, some people don't believe that sort of thing. Even some of the clergy... My friend John Woomer, who wrote this book, The Devil Goes Missing, question mark. I've known him for 57 years. He has a wonderful ministry of uh, deliverance and prayer with people who are troubled in this area. He uh, 
met a cathedral canon once at a diocesan meeting, and this cathedral canon said, I don't believe in the devil. Here's a clergyman who's read his Bible, and yet he doesn't believe in the devil. And another elderly cleric at a deliverance ministry meeting said, um, isn't it time we stopped conniving with this medieval mumbo-jumbo? What are they teaching them at theological colleges? I don't know. Anyone who's read the story of the Gadarene swine in uh, Luke chapter 8 cannot help believing that devils' spirits exist and have a deep and powerful effect. So my second point is evil spirits do have physical effects. The dumb man in this chapter, a noisy spirit in Luke chapter 4, a very strong spirit making the man almost impossible to bind in Luke chapter 8. Evil spirits can have physical effects. But, third point, they submit to Jesus. Look what it says, not just in verse 14 I've already read, but verse 20. But if I drive out demons by the finger of God, says Jesus, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. And that's rather like a few chapters earlier, Luke chapter 4, where they were all amazed and they said to one another, what is this word? For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits and they come out. It must have been quite a shock to them to see how effective Jesus' ministry was. The fourth point, Jesus' power over spirits proves that God's kingdom has come. Again, it's verse 20, the finger of God is how I drive them out. And the kingdom of God has come upon you. Now contrast that with the very first chapter of Mark. Jesus' first recorded uh, sermon in Mark chapter 1, a very short sermon, was the kingdom of God is at hand, repent. Yes, the kingdom of God is at hand, it's near, it's coming. But here in Luke 8, Luke 11 rather, uh, it's come. Here are all these miracles going on, demonstrating that God's kingdom is indeed among you. We move on. Point five from this passage. The devil is like a strong man. Verse 21. When a strong man fully armed guards his own house, his possessions are safe. Elsewhere in scripture we find the devil referred to as like a roaring lion. That's in 1 Peter or the ruler of this world, in John chapters 12 and 14. And Paul says, and Sandra already referred to this in the prayers, we're not contending against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against the powers, against the world rulers of this present darkness, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Ephesians chapter 6, it makes one quail till we remember the next point, but Jesus' power is stronger. Verse 22, it goes on. When someone stronger attacks and overpowers him, he takes away the armor in which the man trusted and divides up his plunder. In 1 John chapter 3, we read, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. And Paul in Colossians explains a bit more about how Jesus destroyed the works of the devil. He says, he, Jesus, disarmed the principalities and powers. And Paul there is talking about the cross and what exactly Jesus did 
through the cross and the resurrection, taking away the devil's trump card, sin. The devil can hold our sin against us, but Jesus has taken that sin away by his death on the cross and robbed the devil of his power. And so we move on in the passage to we need to be with him, with Jesus. Verse 23, whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. When I started reading this passage uh, for preparation, I thought, hey, what's that got to do with this topic? But it is very clear, isn't it, that if we're trying to minister in this area and we try in our own strength, we will make a hideous mess of it. We need to gather with Jesus or we will mess it up. And remember the very sobering words elsewhere in John chapter 15. Apart from me, says Jesus, you can do nothing. But of course, with Jesus, we can do everything. Yes. And there is the great danger, finally, of spirits returning if the house, that's the house of our lives, is empty. Supposing someone has a demon within them and it's cast out, they need the Holy Spirit dwelling within them. Otherwise, the house will be empty and the spirits can return. There's a lovely verse in John chapter 14 which talks about if a person loves me, they will keep my commandments and my Father will love them. And we, Jesus and the Father, will come and make our home with him, with her. What a lovely verse. The Father and the Son dwell in us by the Holy Spirit who can be everywhere in the world, in the hearts of all true believers, keeping the house secure. Let's move on to some modern examples of evil spirits at work. And shortly you will see why. There's a nice picture of a castle there. It's rather a nice picture, isn't it? Thank you, Lucy, for doing the illustrations, by the way. She's the genius in the family for PowerPoint. I'm hopeless. But some people say, oh, it's all in the Gospels, but it doesn't happen nowadays, does it? Ah. Again, many examples from this book, which I highly recommend. John Woolmer, The Devil Goes Missing, question mark. There was a lady with neck pain who was uh, supposedly healed by a spiritualist healer, but that only made things worse. There was a lady who was blind and in constant pain, and she was healed by a woman using a pendulum and a black box. But later she was challenged to renounce this false healing. And after quite a bit of inner struggle, she did. And she went blind again, which must have been pretty scary. But then she was healed by Jesus through the ministry of a young and inexperienced clergyman. I think John is referring to himself there in this book. A young and inexperienced clergyman who desperately relied on James chapter 5, where it talks about, is anyone sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and they will come and pray over that person with anointing with oil. And the prayer of faith will save the sick person. If you rely on scripture, it won't let you down because Jesus will not let us down. There was a man who was critically ill, another example, and the house had a very oppressive atmosphere. Why? Because he had dabbled in spiritualism and been to a seance. There was a girl who dabbled with a Ouija board at school 
and that led to horrific nightmares. There was a lady in Argentina who had lots of health problems. And I think we might just read out this section because it is quite revealing, if I can find the right page. Oops. Once in Argentina, a woman came for prayer. She had a list of problems that seemed endless. She looked ill. She listed problems in almost every part of her body. We listened patiently but could see little prospect of effective prayer. She was enveloped in a cloud of despairing negativity. Quite suddenly, my praying partner asked, when you were about four, was a baby brother born into your family? Were you very jealous and angry? The woman nodded. We explained that this root of bitterness, as mentioned in Hebrews 12, could affect her health. We led her through a prayer, an extensive prayer of repentance. We prayed against all her illnesses, which seemed somewhat like a spirit of infirmity, as in Luke 13. Suddenly, healing started to flow through her body. A few minutes later, she was largely free from pain and looked about 15 years younger. The next night, she brought several friends to a healing service. I have no idea how complete her healing was, but certainly there was a dramatic improvement. Was this a deliverance ministry? I don't know, and it doesn't really matter. If she did have a spirit of infirmity or some other spirit, it was not like the evil spirits I've described in earlier chapters. It exited quietly and with no fuss, no fuss after my friend's inspired diagnosis and her confession. was another lady with depression and low self-confidence who reacted violently to prayer. And that was an evil spirit that needed to be driven out. There was a man in Oxford, this story is almost funny in places, who came and interrupted a dinner party at John Woolmer's house when he was a young clergyman and uh, said, I've just beaten up my wife. He was a parishioner, so John felt obliged to abandon his dinner guests and go round to the woman's house to see that all was well. All was actually quite reasonable, but the husband had been binge drinking. When John came back to his dinner party, he discovered that the man had overturned a table and was gnawing at the table legs and uh, being restrained by four policemen. The dinner guests had retired into an alcove only uh, John's wife, Jane, was standing calmly and taking the situation in hand. But uh, over the next few days, this man, having had a night in the cells, was uh, taken through prayers and church services and eventually confessed that he had had dealings with a Ouija board in the Merchant Navy. And he had to be prayed for and delivered from the effects of that. Now, all these people needed prayer ministry. Normally, we're like a fortified castle. But any contact with the occult, even unbeknownst to us, or even slight, even momentary, even long ago, any contact with the occult is like letting down the drawbridge. And that's what the castle is up there for. But we'll move on. Questions to ask ourselves, or those people we're trying to help. Have you personally had any dealings with the occult? Seances? Tarot cards? Your fortune being told? Using a Ouija board? 
horoscopes. Those are not the only possibilities, but it's a formidable list. Have you personally had any psychic experiences? Have you tried any alternative avenues of healing? Now, some may be harmless and some may be effective, and I'm not knocking them, but beware if the so-called healer won't say where their power comes from or if they ask you to recite strange mantras. The alarm bells should have been ringing long since if that sort of thing happens. Are there any malign influences from your family tree? Now, this is a disputed area, I know, and, and some people would point to where Jesus says, was it this man who sinned or his parents that he was born blind? No, no, uh, we suffer for our own sins, and this was for the glory of God to be revealed. So some people take that line. Others would say, yes, there are malign influences from your family. So there may be an area for debate here, but have you had parents, grandparents, uncles, aunts involved in suicide or murder or occult activity or Freemasonry? I will say more about that in a moment. I hope not to offend anyone here mentioning it. Or perhaps members of the family have lived in haunted buildings. Perhaps there's been depression or migraine running through the family or something like that. Perhaps there's been a need to forgive or be forgiven. And maybe it's too late because the person concerned has died and that could lead to a very strong sense of guilt. All these things can be, I would suggest, and certainly the book John wrote would suggest also, malign influences which need to be dealt with. But as I say, the, it is debatable. And so also with the next point, what about adoption? Again, some would say there's no harm. But if we were adopted, if we have adopted, are there any issues with the biological parents that we don't know about? Perhaps that's a question to be explored later. Now, two caveats here. It's a Latin word meaning beware, in case you wondered. Uh, sorry, I always speak in Latin at least once during a sermon. It <laughs> helps to remind me of what I used to do in my working life. Uh, first caveat, not all these factors necessarily involve evil spirits, but it's always worth keeping an open mind, especially if we pray about something and then seem to hit a brick wall. Might there be some sort of spiritual rather than merely physical explanation? If there is, then no amount of tinkering and medication will solve the problem. Spiritual problems don't yield to pills. It's as simple as that. We need to pray in the name of Jesus. Second caveat, this is about the Freemasonry question. I believe my grandfather and at least two great uncles were Masons, and some people see nothing wrong with it and others would say that they can testify to real problems which they needed to be released from because their ancestors were Masons. So maybe discuss that afterwards. And again, I say, forgive me if I have offended in any way by mentioning that. We move on to some conclusions. Just a few pointers. Beware of trying to exorcise an ordinary illness or a character defect. I command the spirit of lust or the spirit of cancer to come out of this person. That probably does more harm than good. It just muddles the whole situation. Cancer is an illness. Lust, 
needs dealing with by repentance and determination to change with God's help. Remind us of the world, the flesh, and the devil. The world has many temptations. The flesh is weak, and we need to pray for grace and strength to resist temptation, not exorcism. However, we have looked at at least one example of extreme jealousy which gave a foothold to the devil, as in James chapter 3, the Argentinian lady mentioned above. So keep an open mind. Beware, though, of trying to exorcise an ordinary illness or character defect. Secondly, these dangers are real, both in New Testament times and today. So, thirdly, do seek prayer and help if you've had any contact with the occult. Fourth point, the spirits often try to hide. They mask themselves until they are forced out into the open. Actually, when they do come out into the open, they rather like the publicity. And anyone who is ministering in this area needs to be careful not to give them too much uh, publicity. Go into a quiet place for ministry rather than doing it in public and having a sort of shouting match. That only encourages them and seems to give them strength. But initially, the spirits try to hide. And of course, fifthly, they can only be driven out by the power of Jesus. And then a bit about the difference between oppression and possession. They're not the same things. Oppression is from outside. Possession is within us. And whichever it is, there may well be or there may not be physical effects. Oppression is much more normal. And that can normally be dealt with, I gather, by renunciation and repentance and a prayer cutting off the evil influences. And seventhly, don't try to minister alone. We need the proper authority. Indeed, uh, in the Church of England, it's very important to have the bishop's permission for any sort of exorcism ministry. So talk to Matt first. Bad luck, you've got another job there. <laughs> so we need the proper authority. We need prayer backup. We also need someone listening while the whole process is taking place, listening to God and listening and watching the person concerned and observing and discerning what's really happening. Remember that Jesus sent his disciples out in pairs. And remember James chapter 5, where we are told to call the elders, plural, of the church to come and pray with us, anointing us with oil. Well, that's the end of what I had to say, but just a little footnote. I think there might be at least three reactions to what I've said. First of all, possibly we may be aware of things in our past that really need dealing with that we've never realized before. Please come and pray about them afterwards. Secondly, you might feel some sort of call to minister in this area. Yes, that is something I would like to be involved in. And with proper training, I'm sure that could work and be very effective. And thirdly, there may be people saying, I'm not aware of any problems in my life about this, but don't forget there are children, grandchildren, nephews, nieces, who are growing up in a world where it's very easy to get hold of Ouija boards, tarot cards, etc. Maybe we need to keep our eyes more open. And certainly we can all rejoice that although the devil is very strong and his minions can do awful things, Jesus is stronger. He comes bringing that 
abundant life, that real life, life in all its fullness. Amen.